Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today's episode is not only number 132, it also marks our fourth anniversary. So I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's tuned in at some stage over the last four years. It's been a lot of fun and uh, there's lots more guitar talk to be had. Hey, today I'm speaking to an incredible Australian guitarist, Orianthi, born in Adelaide, has been living in the States, most specifically in LA for the last 15 or so years and has carved out an incredible career. She's a, a platinum selling solo artist, just about to release her fourth much anticipated solo album. But also as a, as a side woman guitarist, she's worked with people like Michael Jackson, Alice Cooper, Carrie Underwood, Steve Vai, Carlos Santana. Unbelievable, an unbelievable career. And yet through a lot of hard work and some good breaks, she's worked with these people. We hear all the great stories behind those gigs and her own solo career as well. So let's jump straight in with the great guitar hang with Orianthi. Orianthi, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well here in Sydney. How's things in, in LA? Yeah, pretty crazy. But uh, staying in my studio and I'm working a lot on uh, new songs. I probably have a whole new album by the end of this. Um, and just sort of, you know, getting on the phone with my family in Adelaide, in Australia a lot, FaceTiming them, FaceTiming my friends. This is pretty crazy to be living life this way. And who would have thought? Yeah, you know, definitely. This would have happened to everybody. So, yeah, I mean, it was only um, I know, a matter of weeks ago you, you've been um, working on your fourth solo album for a while now, and it looked like we we're getting towards a release for that. Has um, yeah. has COVID nineteen yeah. put a pause on your release or finishing that off or anything like that? Um, things are still still moving forward. Actually, considering like one of the guys actually from the label was in Italy, so okay. Well. Um, and then Nashville, my management's in Nashville. And then, yeah, so we're kind of just trying to deal with things. And my producer is in Nashville too. So we're on the phone a lot. But I'm super excited about this record. We did it in 28 days. It's um, with Marty Fredrickson, who is an amazing producer, songwriter, and friend. And it was just done really fast. It's a whole new sound, experimenting with, like, different tones to different synth sounds, layers, Um we basically did everything ourselves. It was me and Marty and his son Evan played drums on it and bass and I played it a bass and then it was so much fun. I, I really had a great experience I, and I can't wait to put this out. It's been a while now because I recorded it last year and then just with the industry, the way everything is, it's so different now and, and I wanted to put it out like um, obviously properly so everyone you know gets here around the world and everything. But it's a different kind of deal we sort of worked out and all that. So um, I'm just super excited for to put out new music because it's been it's been a minute you know it's been a minute since I've done a full record since Heaven in This Hell and RSO which I did you know as well and all of that and you know everything I've done I'm I'm proud of there's just different you know kind of I don't know like pieces of my sort of life like sort of uh situations and and time and all that and you look back and you reflect you go okay that was a that was that phase and then you you know it's different chapters so this next record is another chapter and I'm ready to make the next record now too. So people will be constantly getting, you know, up to like new music and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So cool. Yeah, Heaven in This Hell, I think that came out around 2013. So 
I mean, that's that's a while between solo albums, but you've fit so much music in between then and now. Um, obviously, um, that's going to rub off in some way. All the all the different gigs and, and people you worked with. So um, it does make the next the next chapter really really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much, and it's just so fun. I mean, and, and it's an honor the fact I get to jam out with so many of my idols and people I look up to immensely. Um, they call me to, you know, like Robbie Krieg is a dear friend of mine and he's like, hey, come and jam and anytime. You know, it's like, it's pretty wild. And uh, to have, you know, friends like that just around LA and always like, you know, just hang out and jamming Steve by everybody who's around here. And we just, you know, Steve Lukather, everyone. Uh, it's pretty crazy. It's wild. But I, I just love it. I love to be able to just sit around and create, write, jam, um, to do this for a living. I mean, it's not an easy industry to be in by any means. You've got to um, really, I don't know, kind of take care of yourself mentally too because there's a lot of ups and downs. You know, you go from zero to 100 and then you got to deal with the in-between. So you moved to the States fairly young. You were like, was it early 20s? You must have been around 20 years old when you when you moved there from Adelaide. Yeah, I was around 1920 when I moved here. I signed with Interscript Records. Jimmy Iving signed me. And I made my first record. I started making it then. So I was just kind of thrown into this whole wild situation. But, I, you know, before then, I was um, I quit school when I was 15. I played in three cover bands in Australia. I was signed my first management deal when I was 14. And and I opened for Steve Vile when I was 14. Toured with CZ Top when I was 16. And then, you know, just wrote and recorded as much as I could. Saved up money. My parents obviously, you know, supported me and my, uh, my vision and and my insanity, which is wonderful. Um, and they'll like go for it. And then um, kept on coming over to the NAMM show, you know, Paul Reed Smith guitars, um, well, Paul himself invited me to come play in his uh, booth. So I demonstrate in the booth a lot. And then I finally just got a record deal because an A&R person who worked with Ron Fair, who was in the audience one night um, when I was playing the Grove in Anaheim uh, with Santana was there and he heard me and then told Ron Fair and Jimmy Iovine. So I went in, uh, to Jimmy's place, actually played in his basement for him, and then the backing tape I made, and then played for uh, uh, Ron Fair as well. Um, you know, and and that was pretty, that was pretty wild. You know, getting that sort of opportunity and going, okay, wow, like because I got so many rejection letters, you know, with different demos and things I'd be sending out to record labels and everything from the age of fourteen, you know, and then I finally got that deal. It was a long road even back then, you know, and then getting it is like the holy grail. And then you got to work more because you got to find the songs producer, vision, you know, everything. And then found that and then Michael Jackson called me when I did my record and asked if I would join him. So I was like, sure. So I didn't tell the label and I went and worked with him. And then when he passed, that's when they put out the record straight after that. So it was kind of, it was very emotionally, it was all crazy and amazing, but also very emotional and and, and difficult when I look back on that time as well, you know. So. Sure, sure. That's a that's a really intense handful of years. I guess by the time you moved to the states, you were already, um, as you said, you'd already been gigging and and writing and demoing for five or six years. So that, so, whilst you were young, you're still um, very experienced. Yeah, playing in pubs in Australia. I mean, as you know, it's not easy because people are you know you play three sets until three a.m. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I was. 14, 15, three <laughs> nights a week. And then during the week, I'd be songwriting um, and recording. So I learned how to record myself. Um, my dad, um, actually, he taught me how to record. And then I also went and sat in a studio 
um, I think it was called Fat Track or something like that. And I would sit with the um, engineer there and he would teach me how to sort of record things as well. And I learned how to use like a Roland 2480 to, you know, Tascam and then um, Frostex and all this kind of stuff and how to mic things. And, you know, so I, I do that now in my own studio. I like to record my own stuff with Logic and um, I use GarageBand actually in Logic. But because um, it's easy. But um, there's nothing like the analog recordings, though. That's one thing. I just like I was talking about this the other day with my friends. I'm like Pro Tools and all this digital stuff. I mean, I don't know. It's like looking at every. It's like the soul and everything you get from records, vinyl records that you listen to. There's nothing like that personality. And now everything is like under surgery lights. You know what I mean? It's like when you record something with Pro Tools, everything's so clear and it's like it's pretty crazy. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of it, I must say. Sure. It's all right, though. Sure. I guess it's got its <laughs> practical advantages, but you're still digging the analog thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's like I, I prefer – I mean, the last record I did actually at Blackbird Studios with Dave Stewart, um, who's a dear friend of mine, we recorded it in the live room and then we bounced it to reel-to-reel, uh, -reel, you know, so to tape. And – that you know I mean it just added some real warmth to it and um yeah which I'd really dug and then this last record as well I mean it, it sounds I mean there's a lot of sounds that are kind of like analog and all that so mm -hmm. yeah I'm I'm always going for that even when using digital stuff so platforms so yeah yeah cool you mentioned Dave Stewart so he produced Heaven in This Hell that album yes. It seemed like a bit of a departure from your, your previous couple of records, which were maybe more pop rock um, to, a, to a looser, heavier kind of a thing. If I can just back up, though, the first time I heard you, um, I didn't know it was you. I, I knew of you, and According to You came on the radio. I thought, yeah, this is a cool pop tune. This is rocking. But I couldn't believe, and I was so happy to hear how loud the guitars were. I thought, at last, a pop tune with loud guitars again. You know what's funny? When I did that song, um, I walked into the studio and I said, I'm going to put down like an 80s tapping guitar solo. It's going to be loud. And, and, and I was like, what? I was like, I'm going to tap the guitar so loud. And it was so funny. And I did it not as a joke, but kind of as a joke at first. Because I was like, I don't know to put this on the radio. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. But then I thought, I said to everybody, I'm like, you know what? That's the point of difference. I'm a guitar player. I can't just put out a, you know, a song where I'm just singing. I got to, you know, highlight that. And then hopefully kids will see it and be inspired to learn guitar. So if we do it in, in the right way, you know, with the right director for the music video too, it can look exciting and fun and it'll get kids into it and get people, you know, just inspired to play. And I somehow convinced everybody and they thought it was a good idea. And, and so, and it went, I mean, it was platinum everywhere. So it's it, massive, it went yeah. Um, and then the second, and then, then I, then I was like, oh, I want to do a, I want to do a music video for an instrumental song. And I was like, okay. And so I went, my dear friend, uh, Steve Vai, and I, we wrote Highly Strong and that got on Guitar Hero and got millions of views too. And that was so much fun. I mean, it, doing an instrumental track that getting that much attention to was pretty wild. Um, but, uh, you know, fun times, you know, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that track's, that track's killer. So amongst um, this very poppy album, which was doing, did fantastically well, um, the album's Believe we're talking about. With the big hits, yeah, having a ripping instrumental on there as well was was brilliant. And um, I think Suffocated got on Guitar Hero as well. It did, yeah. Suffocated, Highly Strong, According to You, yeah. 
yeah, all those tracks did. Um, and it was pretty wild. But, um, you know, I'm really proud of that record. That was, a, you know, the first, I mean, it was on a major label. It was a big deal. It was a big part of my life. It really kind of, um, I mean, you know, I just feel very grateful that I had the opportunity to, to, to make something like that with all those different writers from Desmond Child to, you know, just Steve, to everyone that was involved with that record, you know, and, um, and then making the uh, second record with, uh, I said, Dave Stewart um, was a blast and amazing. And then, you know, I did a track with Steven Tyler on that one. And um, actually Marty produced that one on that track, on that album too. Oh, okay. And then okay. making this one with, with Marty. So it was kind of, you know, it's it, seriously, just like so much fun. And then obviously doing the RSO thing too was, um, was good an experience. And um, yeah, I'm just proud of every record. Cause it, it, as I said, different kind of, phases of my life you know yeah yeah um, yeah yeah for sure the guitar tones on say heaven in this hell you seem to be broadening your tones there's some really nasty fuzz stuff on there um on how yeah. do you sleep um i think i'm hearing some slide on a track like fire and some really heavy riffier stuff too so so by then i mean that was always in your pocket as a player of course but you seem to pull that kind of stuff out a little bit more to the front it was more of a bluesy kind of voodoo rock, I call it, <laughs> record. Uh-huh. Nice. You know, with a bit of pop on there too. But I'm I'm predominantly like a blues player, blues rock player. Like that's what I grew up listening to, which is Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray, Santana, you know, um, all of that, John Lee Hooker. Uh, so going back to that, and when I would jam out with, with Dave Stewart, he'd be like, we should just make a record like that because, you know, a lot of people don't know that you, you know, play like a lot of, bluesier kind of stuff and I'm like yeah let's just do something and and I went and visited Blackbird Studios and I'm like this is wild and then um Hyundai asked me to do a commercial and I I cut um all right now actually yeah uh, the free tune yeah I've seen that it's so good yes yeah, so we cut that and when I was there I was like let's just make a full record so I'm, I'm cutting the commercial and then I said to Dave uh let's just do a full record since we're here and he's like, yeah. So he called in all the amazing top players in Nashville, Tom Bukovat. I mean, so many people who came in and, and played and, and it was it was crazy. It was a good time and in the big live room. And most of the tracks were actually cut live in one day. We went back and did overdubs. But um, that record was pretty much done in, about, in a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, so it's got that kind of live feel to it, which I wanted to keep. It was kind of raw. And then I got a call from Alice Cooper um, when I was there in Nashville. He's like, my guitar player just left for a thin Lizzie. Would you join? I'm like, okay, sure. He's got 25 songs signed in a week. And I'm like, all right, sure. And then not knowing how in depth, like all of his songs were, you know, I was like, oh my God. And when I <laughs> listened to, especially Halo Flies, nine minutes long, these songs, well, one song is, but the rest were just, you know, they're, they're all the different guitar parts are very well orchestrated and it's a lot to retain in that amount of time, you know? So I kind of just, I was on overload. I told everybody to leave me alone for about a week. And, and then the first gig we played was actually on Jay Leno. And then we did play the whiskey. Um, and then we went on a world tour and I, for about four years. So that was crazy. <laughs> was that the, um, was it a three guitar lineup then? Yeah, it was myself. Uh, well, it actually changed because uh, initially it was um, Steve Hunter, Tommy Hendrickson and myself. Yep. And then, then it changed to Ryan Roxy, Tommy, and myself. Okay, so, yeah. 
I saw um, I saw Alice a couple of years ago in Sydney, and it was the three guitar lineup as well. Um, Nita Strauss was was uh, was in there, and um, I was so impressed how well arranged three guitars worked over that material. Even some of the old material, which is you know clearly two guitarists, you know the Steve Hunter sort of era stuff. But um, yeah, that that must have been a lot of fun, like slotting into 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 that band. Oh yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I got to tell you, like, because of the time frame, everything. I was like a week to learn everything, and then Damon Johnson, who who left, but he, he's amazing, he's an incredible player. He, he left with Thin Lizzy. He actually came in and and helped me learn Halo of Flies and a few others because I was like, I can't remember all this because just think of it about like three songs. It's like three songs in one. I'm like, okay. So then I got it. You know, it was it was wild, but honestly, amazing time. Alice Cooper is one of the best people on this planet. And his wife, Cheryl, and the whole band, my brothers, we stay in contact. Like, every other week we contact each other and um, love Nita too. We're all friends, you know. That's a cool thing. It's like, you know, being on the road and living with people for, like, four years, you on a bus, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and being, being basically on tour, like, for 10 months of the year, nine to 10 months, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense but fun. Cool, cool. Now, you... um. You mentioned the Michael Jackson gig. I know it's been really well documented, but can can you just talk us through how did how did that come about? You say Michael Jackson rang me up, but what was um what was surrounding that? Um, well, I played the Grammy Awards with Carrie Underwood, and he was looking for a guitar player, and he saw me play the Grammys, and then he was looking on YouTube, and then he asked around, and then um, Carlos Santana mentioned me as well to Michael. And then Michael Bearden, who was a musical director, he was looking around too. And my name came back so many times. And Michael was on, Michael Jackson was actually on uh, YouTube. And he, and he decided upon me come in and, and learn the song. So I was working with Diane Warren that day when I got this message from MySpace saying, you know, what we're looking for, Michael Jackson's been looking at YouTube videos. I'm like, what? Is this like some weirdo? You know what I mean? It's like weird. As I told her, and everyone was like, is this real? And so my manager called, and he's like, yeah, it's real. And then he called me, Michael did, and then Michael Bearden called me. He's like, will you learn, do Niana, want to be starting something and beat it and come in the next day and then play it for, for everyone, including Michael, and play it with the band. And I was like, oh, my God, okay. And so it was pretty wild experience. I mean, I mean I, I've never been that nervous in my life, to be honest with you. So I walked in there, tried to do the best job I could. But, I mean, you can't go in with a mindset going, I'm going to feel – anyone's shoes you're going to do your own thing to it and that's what I did I was like I'm an artist I'm more of an artist than I am like a guitar player or whatever I just consider myself I started writing songs before I started playing lead guitar you know and singing so I'm kind of like I'm going to approach this solo as an artist I'm not going to play it the way they played it I'm going to play it more bluesy different you know voicings and whatnot hopefully he digs it and he did and he hired us all and it was just it was wild but I was so nervous because I'm like I hope he I hope he likes what I'm doing and, you know, you never know. So it's crazy. Um, and was the audition the, with a full band or were you playing the tracks or something? Yeah, it was a full band. We okay. all played for him and he sat down on the couch in front of us and they dimmed the lights and he's like, I want to hear the guitars like really loud. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and he was like just staring at me and he goes, that's great. You can play the solo, but can you play the solo while you're walking around? with me and I'm like uh not yet he goes well you gotta practice that and I'm like all right so I'm like practicing the beat it solo around my apartment at the time I was living um in West Hollywood 
And it was wild because I think people just thought, oh, my God, this crazy, like, Michael Jackson fan has moved to play next door. <laughs> and I went and stopped playing that freaking beat it solo. So I, and I had a Pomeranian at the time, too, and she wouldn't stop barking. So it was like I was being chased by the Pomeranian, barking, you know, beat it solo. My neighbors wanted to kill me. There was no question about that. <laughs> Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. And, um, I mean, even though the tour obviously didn't happen, um, it's incredibly sad. The, um, the documentary that came of that really, um, shone another spotlight on you. I guess the Carrie Underwood thing, a lot of people were saying, who's that guitar player? And then when this is it was released, um, a much larger audience were asking the exact same question. Yeah, it was pretty insane. Um, the whole situation, I mean, for everybody involved, because we got really close. I mean, we all became like this, you know, musical family, and it was three or four months, I think, we were rehearsing for, like, intense. Um, so I think it was that long. Honestly, I, I really don't know. Maybe I'm totally off because, um, <laughs> you know, I've got to figure that out. But it was a, it seemed like a really long time we were, we were together working. And, and we just looked up to Michael immensely. He was, like, the sweetest to everybody. And obviously – you know, one of the greatest entertainers that ever lived and pop singers and dancers, everything. Mm-hmm. So it was a huge loss to the whole world, but we lost like a leader and a, you know, a part of the whole thing. So it was very emotional, very, very emotional. And we didn't believe it, it took a while to really sink in for everybody when it happened. Cause it was so sudden and unexpected and weird. And just like, really that, like he passed, like, and so we just, and then I was thrown into doing all this media and everything for it. And then, the label like okay we're putting out your album too so I had just literally had to like emotionally I was just in a weird place where I sort of put everything in a compartment and I think it came out later and that was not mentally good for me like you know what I mean to sort of deal with and you know and I I, I guess in Germany when I played Give In To Me that's when it really hit me and I was like playing this big radio station everything was going great. And my single was like platinum everywhere. People were, it was, everything was happening and I was unhappy. So, you know, cause I, I was unhappy because I just didn't feel like I had the time to really, um, for everything just kind of sink in, you know what I mean? Sure, and really kind of deal sure. with it. Yeah. Yep. And then have a, sh- I, I kind of probably needed a short break and then to come out with a record, but it was just like full on like bam, bam, like just all this stuff happening. And, Look, I'm very grateful at the success and everything. I worked really hard for it too, but um, it was a very crazy time in my life. So moving forward, everything I'm doing now is at a certain pace and everything that works around me and my manager and everyone, you know, we're going to make sure things are, you know, you've got to take care of, uh, everyone's going to take care of themselves. You know what I mean? We've all, as artists and every, just everyone on this planet, you know, we just mentally and, and emotionally and just when things happen, you just got to have that have that time to figure it all out. I imagine, you know, you, um, in mid-20s, you'd been around the industry a lot, but still, you, you know, we're all relatively young at that age, even with all the things you'd been involved with. And, um, yeah, processing something that big must have been incredibly hard. I was a different person back then, for sure, than yeah. I am now. Sure. Definitely. You know, because everything was, like, just flashing in front of me. Like, I had a gazillion one things going on, and, you know, you have, you know, an amazing – I was 19 Entertainment. I was with Simon Fuller, so I had – Interscope Records with Geffen, you know, I had like all this stuff going. I had this band, I had a tour, I had buses, I had tour manager, I had stylists, I had makeup, everything was like a circus. It was crazy. And, um, you know, you're doing Good Morning America, you're doing all that stuff and it's just 
5 a.m. you got to get up every day, you know, start hair and makeup, go straight into it, work out in the afternoon if you can. You know what I mean? It's just full on until nighttime. Then you're just exhausted and you get on a plane and you go somewhere else. So, you know, I remember getting off stage after doing that for three months straight, which was getting up at 5 a.m. every day, right, playing, doing the radio shows, all that, then doing the shows, and then getting on a plane after a show in Vegas straight to Japan. No, Singapore, sorry, Singapore. Mm-hmm. And then in getting off the plane and going straight into press and then doing a show that night. <laughs> so, That's intense. Everyone sees the hour and a half on stage and thinks it's very glamorous, but there's there's a whole other uh, thing supporting that, which which um, which is a job in, in itself. Yeah, I did that full on for a few years and then I, as I said, joined Alice and then did it full on for four. So, and then, you know, went off with the RSO thing and did that on and off touring for a bit too. So, you know, I've, I've done a lot. Looking back, it's like, okay, in different experiences and then moving forward, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for whatever that looks like. I mean, this industry is changing every day and this world's changing every day. So right now, um, right now music um, is helping people and, and I'm on Instagram a lot, Instagram live and I'm playing requests, covers, people are calling in and saying, I want to hear you do this or, you know, that's not calling, but they, they uh, message me and say, how I want to, I want to hear this, whatever. Yeah. We do Instagram live and it's fun because it's just providing entertainment for free for people when they're at home and that's what we are as musicians. Um, we are to serve people, you know what I mean? We're to serve everybody and just provide entertainment and all that. So I'll be doing a lot more of that and writing and um, doing some streaming concerts very soon too. So we're figuring that out, how to make that work without latency and that kind of weirdness. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be pretty soon. That's going to be pretty exciting. And I'm also, I just did something for Music Cares as well with a bunch of artists, which is coming out very soon too. Awesome, awesome. Very cool. I saw um, one of your Instagrams the other day, you were doing a John Fogarty tune. Um, oh, Run for the Jungle. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's it. And it was like a solo electric uh, and vocal, man, that was cool. Playing with your fingers, which um, I don't always associate that with you um, on electric, but it's, it was cool, man. Very, very bluesy. Very that one man blues guy, the Robert Johnson, singing, doing the licks, doing the whole thing. I'm a huge Robert Johnson fan. Uh huh. I grew up a- listening to him a lot. So that's, uh, you know, it's funny because I usually don't play with a pick. Okay. A lot of people don't know that, but I, why well, they, they know that now, but. A lot of the time, like before when I was doing the more shreddy stuff, I'd use a pick and i use it live. But a lot of the time, because when I you know, started playing, you know, listening to Santana a lot, he he has like, you know, the way he plays is very delicate and just voicing to the notes. So I wouldn't use a pick all the time and trying to learn his stuff. And then also playing along to a lot of blues records and, and then playing classical because I studied classical, didn't use a pick. So it's just more convenient too because I can't find the damn picks as well. I lose them all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a lifelong problem for guitar players. Oh, Terrible. I had so many the other day. I swear they're all gone. I don't know. I think my cat hides them too. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. They could be in the washing machine as well. That's a, that's a gold mine of guitar picks. Yeah, I checked that. It's not there. There's definitely <laughs> kind of different. There's another realm they fall into. Awesome. With socks. Socks and guitar picks. They're all together somewhere. <laughs> definitely. Hey, we've, we've been talking about half an hour. You have dropped um, probably about a dozen world-class musicians' names and not in a, a way other than these are just your colleagues, uh, these are your friends. Um, 
when you, when you started out, especially when you moved over to the US, I guess were you were you starstruck? Because I mean, these these are just your people now. When we're talking about, yeah, you're working with Desmond Child or Santana, Dave Stewart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do, do you still get starstruck, or are you you kind of cool? Um, I, you know, honestly, there's certain people that, um, yeah, I never feel like completely 100% like comfortable around. I mean, even though I'm really good friends with like Carl Santana, um, he's the reason why I play electric guitar. So I'm always like in awe and like, oh my gosh, this is Carlos. Um, and certain people, but yeah, I mean, you know, people like, I should say, I mean, it, it is crazy when I think about it. I'm going like, really? Like I have, you know. Robbie Krieger come up at my place and we jam out and hang out with my friends. We all just jam here. And it's like, he's a freaking, he's from the doors, yeah. you know? And you go, wait a second. Um, to a lot of people, that's insane. And to me, it is insane when I think about it. But he's just, he's like, I don't know. He's like a <laughs> like psychedelic, like, I don't know, like uncle, like that comes over that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's awesome. And, yeah, and yeah, Steve cool. and I, and we just had that kind of relationship where it's like, I'll text him. We write songs together. and We just we hang out, and it's very much just um, a community. And I feel that here in LA, where it's like he's very encouraging. He's just very cool. I know, really cool person, and and cool people. I mean, they're not. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but um, kind of gotten used to it. Like I don't know. Like they're just all very good friends of mine. They're just good people, you know. Is there anyone you'd like to jam with that you you haven't been able to yet? Um, yeah, so the other day, well, actually, a couple of times, um, I ran into uh, Gary Clark, and we've been talking, and uh-huh. we're going to do something together in the future. We've been talking about doing that, and uh, we've been texting and saying, yeah, let's get together and do some stuff, but I would love to play um, something with him, because I'm a big fan of what he does. Yeah, I think he's freaking awesome. It's great. Yeah, man, that, that would be a cool jam, for sure, for sure. You, you... Since, we're both, since we're both Gibson um, artists, too, um, be awesome. I just... Came, I'm just working on a brand new signature acoustic J200 with Gibson right now, so that's coming out soon. Awesome! I, cool. I saw some again. I saw some Insta stuff about that. You're checking out Woods and different models and things. Um, yeah, that's super cool. That's super cool. What what kind it's of? Such, it's such an honor because I was, you know, I was with Gibson a while ago, and then I left them and I went to Martin, and I was with Taylor Acoustics, so I was with PRS Acoustics. And then they approached me and they said, hey, we want to do an artist like signature model for you. And I'm like, okay, that sounds amazing. I said, well, what, kind, what acoustic would you like to do it with? And I'm like, the J200. And they're like, okay. Because um, Elvis was a big influence and Johnny Cash. And so, okay. you know, I wanted to do something with that guitar. I can't say too much, um, unfortunately. Uh, I can say that it's red and I can say that I've <laughs> modified it a lot to yeah. make it faster. So the neck is different, um, and I've modified the pickups with LR bags. So we've been on FaceTime and attention to um, a lot of details with this magnificent guitar, which I'm very excited about. And I honestly, it's unbelievable. Like, I cannot wait to hold the first prototype. I, I just approved the inlays the other day over email and that, you know, in Montana. I went up to the factory and, um, you know, picking out all the woods and just, like, going there and seeing everybody work on these, uh, you know, pieces of art. And same with Pori Smith, you know, I went up to the factory and started a new model with them as well. So it's a real honor to work with these incredible companies and, you know, be able to, um, 
I don't know, create with them, you know, something that's that's special and hopefully a lot of people really like. Because, you know, I, I make it for myself, like for myself, what I like my preferences, but I also run it by people in the factory too and Paul Reed Smith or the people, that, you know, at Gibson and they check it out too and they come back with their comments. So it's definitely a team effort. You know what I mean? I kind of say this is what I would like, but to make it, you know, appealing to a lot of people and hopefully everyone really likes what we've come up with because I'm, I'm just very excited and honoured. That's awesome. You mentioned PRS and, uh, of course, that's been the electric guitar you've been um, so synonymously known with. Was that uh, a Carlos Santana influence as well? Completely. Yeah. Yes, completely. Um, I had a Fender Strat before that and um, I played it a bit. It was red, so it's apple red, and I loved it. Um, and then because of Stevie Ray, but really it was a PRS I really took to and it was, my dad got me one. The secondhand one from the nineteen, I think it was nineteen eighty-seven. Oh, okay. That's a fairly so early really, one. Yeah, it was an early one because I started. Uh, it was established in nineteen eighty-five. The company, so it was a couple of years. It was from the old factory, and it was super heavy, and the strings were really heavy, and it was high action because it was owned by a country player. So mm-hmm. the back of the guitar was all scratched from his country belt, like <laughs> he's always a big belt, and it was like this brown color, and it wasn't the most I mean, the color was kind of cool, but um, the neck was kind of thin. And it was like, it's just a really heavy guitar, but it sounded amazing. I couldn't put it down, you know. It, I was obsessed with it. And I was so grateful that my dad got it for me when I was like 11. I mean, to have a Paul Reed Smith, you know. And it was yeah. like the Holy Grail. And, yeah, so I was like playing along with Santana Sacred Fire records. Uh, sorry, uh, live video VHS, which I wore out. And then um, Abraxas, Z-Bop. Karanasia, all those records, Hendrix, Band of Gypsies, all that kind of stuff, Cream. Um, so I, I basically just locked myself away for hours and hours of that guitar, and that's that's in my studio in Adelaide now. So I have, I have, a, I have a mini guitar collection there in my studio, and I have a collection here in um, L.A., and I have my storage in Nashville. So Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. Tell me, tell me about working with Paul Reed Smith, because that, that happened fairly early on in your career. Yeah, Paul Reed Smith has been a big supporter since I was 14. And I sent him my first demo, which was called Under the Influence, which is the first like record I made with my dad. He recorded it on a Tascam uh-huh. in the living room at our home. My mother allowed us to sort of gut the living room, bring in a drummer, <laughs> record it all. It was pretty wild. And, um, you know, it was like this whole thing where we just sort of, I don't know, everyone sort of just jammed out. And we did a couple of covers uh, from Santana Brothers record and then I wrote a song on there and it was kind of just a coverage record really and then sent it to everybody and Paul Smith wrote back and invited me over to NAMM when I was like 15 and um, yeah and then I ended up going over there when I was like 18 I think something like that and then but yeah he, he was in contact with me and just said how much he really enjoyed it and liked it and that made me feel amazing because I was like having his support and um, yeah so it's kind of been been family since. I mean, Paul and Beverly over there and everyone that works at Paul Smith, they're just um, amazing people. I love them all. That's super cool. And um, that's awesome. If you're, gonna, if you're working on a new model with them, can you tell us much about that? Um, it's very cool. I, I mean, I can't really say too much about it because, I mean, the whole idea of it is pretty wild and it's kind of like, all I can say is that the inner child in all of us, which... Um, 
<laughs> he's going to want to pick it up and plug it in because, yeah, it's a little louder than most guitars, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, okay, cool. We will stay tuned. We'll stay tuned for that. Um, yeah. There's some other really cool signature gear you've got going on right now. Let's um, – Dean Markley, your your signature strings have, have just come out in the last few months. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm super excited about these strings. You know, they're, they're a combination set. So they actually have um, – you know, they've got – I don't know, they're kind of 9 to 52s. So they're just um, – yeah, they're pretty – I don't know. I, I kind of use that. I use that gauge in in the studio when I used to detune a lot with Alice Cooper. So I like the heaviness of them, mm-hmm. um, and it's, I convinced them to to put it, you know, into a line of strings, which was kind of just like combination set. And and people dig them, and they're great on old Kellys too, by the way. So uh-huh. um, they sound really good. It's an interesting like, think, gauge. What, tell us what gauge you're running for those. Nine to fifty twos. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's that's big. Big on each end, as in big difference each end, I should say. That's that's cool. How'd you settle on that? Because that's pretty light up top and chunky down the bottom. Yeah, so it's 9, 11, 17, 30, 42, 52, mm-hmm. right? So um, it's basically, you know, I just, because I, I love the blue steel strings, you know, because they're like uh, kind of gently like treated and they just kind of sound like they had that, that sort of, I don't know, time. They never lose their brightness, which I really. You know, I never break as well because I break a lot. Of, used to break a lot of strings, mm-hmm. so I was really digging the blue steels. And then when um, Josh Vitek, uh, when he came in and, and he was like, "Hey, they would like to signature uh, sat with you," I was like, "Absolutely!" So I sat with them and they sent me all these different combinations and everything. I was like, "Oh, this is one that actually sounds really good and feels good. Didn't feel too weird, you know." Um, and people seem to like them, so they're available through Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have been for a while, and and then he also uh, Josh Vitek, who's a dear friend of mine, also brought in Nexi Industries, and I did two signature pedals with them, which is the Octava and the Nexi Plexi. So both of those um, are available now too, and they're they're great pedals. I'm not a big pedal user, but they convinced me because of the way they're made. They're just very well made, and they just they just sound so good, you know. And that's what it's all about for me. It's like the connection with the guitar and the amplifier, and I don't want too much interference. I usually just use a, a wah pedal, you know, uh-huh. and that's kind of my thing. But um, but with these pedals, they're just so, so well made, you know, that they, they don't interfere, they just sound good, the quality, and I think people are really going to dig them. So it's cool, yeah. man. The, the Octiva has got an octave down and up. How, how do you like to set that up uh, most of the time? Um, well, I kind of set it like full on like so you you, it sounds like a bass is following you know and then Uh you got the fuzz as well so i I like to crank both up completely nice nice i I actually used it on my on the new record with um the new record i just made with marty Uh, we used it for uh, this song called sinner's hymn and uh also this other song which i wrote with uh nikki six from motley crew um and it's called streams of consciousness and that that song, I'm just really excited about that song too. Like, I can't wait for people to hear this stuff. Yeah, man, me too. I can't wait either. <laughs> it's going to be cool. What 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 other stuff did you use on the record in terms of guitars and amps and things? I used some different guitars. I mean, I used predominantly, I mean, for the leads, obviously the, the um, Pori Smith, Custom yeah. 24. Um, but then I also did use um, some tellies. I did use some Les Pauls. I did use some different textures for some of the rhythms and whatnot. Um 
experimented. I used a camper actually for some of the stuff, but mostly I used the orange um, amplifier, which um, I use now, the Rockerverb Mark III. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, yeah, it's a great sounding amplifier. I love it. I, I don't know why I never used orange before. Could have been the color, but um, <laughs> it, I just never plugged into it. And then Pat Foley, who used to work at Gibson, um, contacted me. He's like, you should try out these orange ants. And he actually, you know, I think he sent me a bunch of videos. And I was like, wow, that tone's amazing. And then, um, and then he sent me the head. And I plugged in and I was like, wow, this is wild. And it felt like a, I don't know, like a glorified like Marshall situation meets a Dumble thing. So I'm like, okay, I love this. And then, yeah, now I'm with Orange. So I think we're working on a signature Orange amp later this year too. So that should be awesome. very cool. Awesome. Good times. Good times. Uh, you've got some straps coming out too. You could be totally – you could be a guitar player and just have an Orianthi rig from – from head to toe, except for the picks. Maybe you need some signature picks that you can't lose. That's maybe the only missing link. You know, I, I have got a ton of signature picks, and I'm going to come up with some more, actually. I've just got to get them made because I'm in desperate need. Um, that's the one thing. But I, I do have some straps, which I made with Carlino guitars, Yeah. which um, 10% of the proceeds actually go towards uh, cancer research. And they're very well-made straps, and they're pretty wild. One's leopard print with turquoise. The other one's like just... Um, leather sort of with, uh, with turquoise and yeah, they're pretty, pretty out there, these straps, but I dig them, you know, <laughs> I really do. Mm. And it was fun making, and it's fun to be, it's awesome to be approached to do this kind of stuff because accessorizing and all the, you know, pageantry that goes around, you know, it's a show. When you put on a show, people want to come and see things that are colorful and different. You don't want to just, you know, be sort of normal. And I'm all about that because I'm, I'm all about, every aspect of the entertainment world too, of, of how, you know, you want to take people out of reality and just, you know, create things that people haven't seen before. They're just pretty wild and out there. You know, I like that kind of stuff. So awesome. I'll be forever doing that. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, you only get asked to put signature stuff together if you're, you're doing great work. So uh, obviously these companies want to align themselves with um, all the great music you're making too. So that's, that's heaps cool. It is really, it's really cool that they approach me, and I'm like um, honored, as I said, like to be able to, uh, you know, do these things. <laughs> so, you know, it's awesome. It really is. It's very cool. Cool. Hey, with all the, all the, um, all the amazing touring and stuff you've done, if you had any, um, got any particular favorite gigs or or tours that, um, that stuck out for you? Yeah, um, definitely Japan. We played Summer Sonic. That was 100,000 people, and it was the most wild time because we played in Tokyo and we played in um, Osaka. And looking at 100,000 people and they're singing back the words to your songs, and you're like, and then they're, you know, really, English isn't their first you know, language. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh my, honestly, the whole band were like, this is wild. And I mean, that's insane. It truly is insane. And then Singapore, and we played Singfest. Everyone knew the words. And then Kuala Lumpur, all these different places. Um, in Brazil as well, like playing out there, it was wild. Uh, it was about eighty thousand people there. And then we played, um, God, so many different. I don't even know. Like, there's been some crazy shows. I mean, I can't honestly like. I can't remember all of them, obviously, but it's just like moments. It's so many different moments. And actually up in Canada, we played this festival, which 
Quebec and we had an amazing time up there too. I remember in Toronto and all that. So, um, yeah, there's been some cool, cool spots in Vegas. Played some really fun shows there too. So awesome. Any spinal tap moments? Oh, many, many. Um, I think probably one of the funniest was when my bass player got her head stuck uh, caught in my hair extension, right? During song. And it took about two or three songs for the guitar techs, two of them, to separate. And, everyone, and, I, and it was like, it was like 30,000 people in the audience and it was filmed. And it was up in Canada, actually. And I thought it was great because it was entertainment value. Like it was like, you know, the bass player, she was like worried. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe it is happening. She thought she was going to get fired or something. And I thought it was great because everyone was like, you know, going, oh, are they going to, are they going to actually separate? Is her hair going to be ripped out? Like people were just staring like at this disaster that was happening. And <laughs> it was funny. Like I thought it was funny, even because everything sounded good. Like the sound was good. The show was going good. It wasn't, if it was a disastrous sound and it was horrible, then I would have been very upset. You know what I mean? At the whole hair extension thing but it felt good we're having a good evening and that just happened 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 you said it took two or three songs like you so you're still you're still rocking through the set yeah and i said you couldn't move it because i had because i had my i didn't want my teeth to be knocked with with the microphone so i was like you gotta hold still and they were like trying to do it carefully and i was like in between songs i'm like well Guys, we're going to get separated at one point. So, you know, it's all good. And everyone's laughing. It was actually really funny. I think it's online somewhere. But um, it's all good. And, you know, it's all the entertainment aspect of things, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, whoever went to that gig, they're never going to forget that. That's cool. Yeah, they just thought it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I don't wear those hair extensions anymore. The ones that were uh, pretty much glued to my head. So, Clippings all the way these days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That was wild. Hey, it's been super cool speaking to you. Um, not least of all because because you're an Aussie and you've been just smashing it in the states for a while. I've had a few young Aussie musicians on the show, um, like Tal Wilkenfeld or, or Joe Robinson. I don't know if you know those guys, but um, Tal Tal actually just texted me just now. No way. That's awesome. She was, she was cool. Yeah, she's great. And we were just talking the other day and she literally just texted me and, and uh, um, what was she saying to me here? Um, oh, I should say this actually on this podcast because I want to plug that she has a brand new music video that's coming out on Tuesday. Awesome. So go and check out Tao's music video. Yeah, she's man. Great. She's cool. So... There you go, small world. So, um, but that's cool. Like, yeah, speaking to guys like 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 her and, and Joe and yourself, who, um, yeah, you guys all moved to the states at a very young age, um, and uh, and yeah. are killing it. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, she moved over much younger than I did. I think she moved over when she was like sixteen. Yeah, 17. yeah, yeah. I think Joe was yeah, about was eighteen or something. I don't know. Anyway, you're all doing great. So it's always fun to. Um, have guys like you on the show and yourself. I've been a fan of your playing for a long time. So very cool to sit down and, and talk guitars and, and your career. And um, I can't wait for the new record to come out. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to come back to Australia. So I'll let you know when I'm in Sydney and, you know, set you up with like tickets and all that. And we'll all hang out, you know, it'd be great. Cool. Fun. That'd be awesome. We'd love to see you play this stuff live for sure. Cool. Well, listen, stay safe in LA and, um, Yeah, we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, you take care. All right, there you go. That was pretty cool. 
very cool hearing all those stories and Aussie absolutely carving it up in the States. Great to hear and as I said, I can't wait to hear the new record. I think it's going to be killer. Thank you so much for joining me. Now to let you know, uh, over on the Guitar Speak podcast, I've just uploaded uh, a series of backing tracks which are free to download and jam on, especially uh, with world events as they are. What better time to lock yourself in your studio and do some practice. So um, those tracks are there for you to check out, free to use in, in any way you like. All right, thanks for joining me. It's been a fun four years and we're just going to keep talking to people about guitars. So I hope you tune in again next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. See you next time.